Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You know what? I like hearing from you. I particularly like hearing from you when you write in with suggestions of people we should be speaking to, places we should go with the podcast, or themes for an episode. And the reason I mention that is because this week's episode is a listener suggestion. If you've got a strong London-centric idea that you'd like us to poke a microphone at, getting in touch couldn't be simpler. You'll find us on Twitter, of course, at Londonist Sound. And on the subject of social media, a lot of people signing up now for the Londonist Out Loud Instagram account, which is where you can find pictures of all of our guests week by week, including today's Jeannie Dawkins, who is at the fore of a rather unusual campaign, and one that's trying to look out for the best interests of, well, everyone in the city, but particularly those who have frequent contact with shops. So let's do this. It's the 31st of January 2014. I'm in Quentin Wolf, and this is Londonist Out Loud. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before. Just a stone throw from your front door. Well, hello, hello. I'm not much of a shopper, and I feel a little bit like a fish out of water here. I'm very much in the shopping central in the, the West End. We're not far away from Baker Street. Uh, luxury sort of shops, I would say. We've got expensive footwear aplenty. Uh, a leather company just over the way there selling some very nice fashion. Uh, health stores. Uh, but why am I telling you this? Well, we're with Jeannie Dawkins, the director of Close the Door campaign, to really look at what some of these shops are doing and how they could help improve the health of their customers and, and maybe the environment in general. Jeannie, hi. Hi. This Close the Door campaign, I mean, it seems from the name of it rather self-evident what your aim is. Yes, very self-evident. And it's a very, very simple campaign. 
the uh, challenge we have here on a 50-minute podcast uh, <laughs> is to uh, work out how we're going to fill the time. And I suspect there's actually rather more to this story. I suspect some of the subjects we're likely to find ourselves touching might include town centres and public-private space. We can find ourselves talking about energy and the environment. One of the subjects I was surprised to discover we're likely to be talking about is individual health as well. And actually, that's where I'd like to start this. Yeah. You want shops to shut their front door for the health of the customers. Can you dig into that? Um, the health of the customers and especially the health of the staff, because recently, really, it's become very wide public knowledge, I think, that um, there are hugely difficult issues around air pollution, and particularly in central London. Um, the small particulates that we get out of the diesel that has happened after the rush to diesel um, in the 90s basically means that there are tiny particulates in the air that you can't see, taste or smell and they do you an immense amount of damage. There's now proper research on it out of King's College London and also out of Edinburgh University funded by the British Heart Foundation and these particulates not only cause cancers in your lungs but they also pass through the lining of your lungs into your bloodstream and cause all sorts of other really very unpleasant long-term health hazards. So the trouble is that the worst effect of that is on the high street. And in fact, the people very worst affected are ambulance drivers and taxi drivers um, and people working right out beside heavy junctions. But on busy high streets, where the shops leave their doors wide open, they're really forcing their staff to live an entire day on the high street. Let, let me dig, I can, I can yeah. hear there's lots to say. The fact that jumped out at me from that batch was the idea that ambulance drivers are a higher risk category than, uh, it seems, a number of other drivers that you could have mentioned. Yes, um, and I'm not quite sure why that is the case, but it's very much what the um, research at King's College London found. They had um, a set of people who were really exposed to the worst of the traffic fumes and ambulance drivers came into it. I believe with taxi drivers there's a bit of a problem because um, they don't have to have filters on their engines um, and they are expensive and they have to be changed quite often and very often the filters are removed for that reason, I believe, and I think that's... uh, They're a source, a great source of emissions on the street in London and they're also... Um, not in a great position themselves. Well, this is interesting. Okay, so on that level, and I know this is one of several levels, uh, I wonder whether you're uh, attacking the right bit of it in a way. I wonder whether the uh, the car fumes, the, manu- the, uh, the the way in which the cars are manufactured, the choice of vehicles from the London cab company, all those sorts of things, uh, are they a, a more worthy target or f- further up the chain? I think they're absolutely essential, um, but there are two things about it. Um, first of all, um, obviously with that, a lot of work is being done, and you know the mayor and everybody else and every single council is extremely concerned about it, but it's going to take quite a lot of time. Um, The Close the Door campaign actually started up about saving significant amounts of energy wasted out of an open shop door. Um, And this has really come into it because in the meantime, while the situation is put straight on the street, which is really going to take quite a long time, we need to protect people who are working in the shops. They're often really young and at the moment they're really concerned about complaining about anything because they don't want to lose their jobs. So um, you're absolutely right. If we want to sort the pollution problem out, it needs to be done elsewhere. 
but there is a very important role for the campaign in this in the meantime. I can only imagine that a young shop worker or a shop worker of any age might be seen as being rather frivolous to complain that they were next to a road. I mean, after all, what can the shop owner do about that? But So you, you would go into a shop and say, what? Well, we tend to, at street level, we go in and um, speak to the managers. Um, very often they're unaware of both the amount of energy they're losing, and we have proper data on that out of Cambridge University Sustainable Buildings um, Department, yeah, who are have done a very very good survey and they're losing a massive amount of energy Um, and we also talk to them about the air pollution Um, but very often if they're part of a chain it's a head office command and so we're working with the business improvement districts and also with head offices to access the very top ends of the management of the shops. Now are you saying though that uh, well clearly a diktat from HQ could let the branches know that they need to close their doors is there a policy in place currently that says that they should keep their door open absolutely Uh, the vast majority of chain stores are told that they have to keep their doors open or else they'll lose footfall which is clearly not the case because we now have thousands of shops right across the uk that do this um, and they trade very very successfully from up at primark level right down to the independents independents tend to close their doors because they pay their own bills apart from anything else but but all the money they're wasting on their energy goes on to the price of goods basically and the people in fuel poverty this energy that's being wasted are the least equipped to deal with it um, and it's just a ludicrous situation but there really is not a problem on the profit is not badly affected by closing the door so where's this myth arisen from i really don't know i think it's a fairly recent one in terms of the last few decades um probably um i mean i remember when i was younger (laughs) that uh, doors used to be catch out um and it was uh, the idea of increasing the amount of shopping by luring people in but actually you know if people want what's in your shop and you've got a good window display they'll come in through anything <laughs> well now there's a i've done a bit of work around retail and there's the thing called the hot air curtain isn't there that you position above your front door yes um it's actually not a curtain that's a blower there are things called air curtains which actually operate um from horizontal units they'd be blowing across um and neither is a good idea at all <laughs> um the blower above is um, extremely hungry on energy um, and out of the uh, research project at Cambridge they found that a small uh, one over a single door used up the same amount of energy by puffing hot air out of the door as a coach going to um, up from London to Glasgow and back in one week and that's just totally wasted um, air and really doesn't help anything and air curtains were made to seal air in an area where there's no movement through it as soon as you walk through an actual air curtain which is fairly inefficient anyway um, it totally disrupts it so you cannot keep heat or air conditioning in a building with an air curtain in a sensible way that's all there is to it so they're probably not even designed for that, are they? It's about no, uh, they, they weren't designed for that in the first place. I think um, puffing hot air at people is supposed to make them feel sort of nice and warm as they go into the shop if the door is wide open. It's in place of a hug. <laughs> it's rather unpleasant because it can actually blow your hair all over the place. But yeah. 
I'm, I'm uh, in a very feeble way going to attempt to uh, um, be the devil's advocate and come up with... I'm going to try to concoct some sort of reason why it would be a good idea to leave the, the door open. I, I know it's doomed to failure already, but let, let's <laughs> give it a try. Uh, let's imagine all the poor uh, parents with pushchairs who've got their hands full or uh, people with uh, bad wrists or... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm already uh, re- clutching at straws, as you can tell. Uh, is there no argument for assisting people to get through the door in that way by oh, leaving it open? They definitely need assisting but not by having the door open and there's absolutely nothing in planning that says that the most disabled person should have a wide open door you wouldn't expect them to have a wide open door at home and you shouldn't expect it um, in the retail sector they definitely need help and there are lots and lots of ways you can do that Um, quite a lot of shops who do close the door have people ready to sort of um, open the door um, but you can have doorbells you can have special tassels on the handles but disabled really disabled people find it um, as far as we can find from the groups that we've spoken to find it really difficult in shops because if they're in a shop that's too hot at the back because it's trying to compensate for draft at the front or they're still in the drafty bit they can't actually move around and get away from it very easily and it affects them really badly so um, you know if it is a ridiculous reason similarly with buggies I mean now they turn on a sixpence I've had four children in buggies and uh, it's never been a problem to me to get through a door and uh, everybody else pretty much reports the same thing plus I think even if somebody had to get up a step and through a door with a buggy they're most people are quite concerned about what's going to be happening with um, all sorts of things for their own children in due course and they don't want to be wasting energy and polluting the atmosphere by using unnecessary amounts of energy. You've put in my mind some sort of uh, buggy Olympics where people have to do the assault course with buggy in tow. I think you might be good at it from what you're saying. (laughs) Have you never had to try this? That that pleasure is yet to uh, (laughs) await me. (laughs) It is like buggy Olympics, I can tell you quite often, but not necessarily because of the door. (laughs) I can't help noticing that the spot we've chosen for this interview, and we'll be coming on to why we're in Chilton Street here near Marleybone in just a moment, but the commonality between all the retail units here is that they are individual shops. They're old-fashioned big shop windows traditional sorts of doors here it looks like it's been here a while what we're not seeing is what exists in many areas of london that is the the big mall or shopping center or arcade what are the energy issues around those well the energy issues are fairly similar but they are more of a problem for us because we uh, we use sort of data um, as far as we can because we need to let people know what's going on on the whole, we don't cover shopping malls and shopping centres, although they may be waste, wasting vast amounts of energy because the amount of energy that is going out is different in every single one and it's extremely difficult, really, to come to a conclusion about how much energy they will be wasting. However, at the same time, Cambridge, in Cambridge, they've just put doors onto the big new mall there because it, it had been designed about sort of 20 years before it opened as a sort of open street with a canopy over it and that was causing a lot of trouble in the shops so um, there is an issue about what happens in in shopping malls etc but we don't as yet cover it specifically but interestingly Vodafone um, used to have all its doors open and did a very big internal trial and um, they found that it was so successful shutting the doors that they now even shut them in malls Um, so it's something that needs to follow but we basically concentrate on the high street so I'm going to ask a question that's really quite impertinent. 
but it's not meant in an impertinent way. Um, I mean, in the widest possible sense. Who, who are you, Jeannie Dawkins? <laughs> that is who I am. <laughs> have, have you a hinterland beyond the uh, beyond the closed door cave? I mean, what's what's your? Uh, I, I didn't want to ask anything as simplistic as what's your background, because that sort of suggests career. But more generally, who are you as a person who has found yourself interested in pursuing this line of thought? Well. Um, I trained as a barrister and then promptly, having done that, left the country pretty much. Um, my husband is a, was a foreign correspondent with the Financial Times. So um, we travel around, lived between Brussels, Paris and then Tokyo and came back with four children. And I was doing something else. Your, your own or you just found them? <laughs> the way you said no, that, it was like... them, I'm not sure. Got a luggage mixed up at the airport and... <laughs> <laughs> so I came back, did something else, and then I thought um, there was a lot of emphasis going on in 2007 on saving energy at home. A huge amount of government money was going into it, apart from anything else. Um, and in Cambridge, with amazing, en- where I live, uh, an amazing engineering ta- department, I was walking down the street one day with three friends, and the snow was melting in front of WH Smith with the doors wide open. And I just thought, this looks interesting. I need to find out whether it is going to make a big difference saving in the retail sector as well as at home and the figures came out with a resounding yes we need to do something about it so I thought I'll do something about it I thought it would take me six months and it's now 2013. I was going to to ask, can you put a year or approximate date on on when that happened? What was the... Because we've been through phases of awareness. There was the whole green thing in the late 80s and then environmentally aware and then the the whole global warming uh, thing. So when when was that realisation positioned? 2006, 2007 winter, there was a lot of emphasis on what we were doing at home. And we just sort of thought, well, you know, if all this money and pressure is going into what we do at home which quite rightly um, a lot of us are shoppers um, and well we all have to spend a certain amount of time shopping um, and a lot of people do it for a lot of their lives and yet they don't carry the thought that you would never do this at home you never turn on the heating and then open your doors and windows and but they didn't carry it into the retail area and as you say there's a whole other thing with that about whether it's a public space we treat it as a public space basically there's a question that's sort of bubbling up inside. I don't think it's quite formulated itself properly in my head. So I'll just maybe, some of the building blocks for it are maybe a sort of a consumerist outlook, equaling uh, carelessness, recklessness, just a desire to buy, 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 and uh, not really thinking about that as as having any responsibilities. It being about stuffing the stuff in your bag and thinking about what you want and what's going to look good on you and all that kind of stuff. But the idea of having a conscience um, with the with the rare exceptions of perhaps uh, fair trade products or something like that on the whole uh, that it's quite an unethical arena isn't it yes. being a consumer well it it certainly can be and of course there's a huge emph- emphasis on 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 you what you can amass what you can take at pretty well anybody's expense it seems um, in some cases but there is a there is a real turn towards considering what we are doing about using resources i think there's also a, a very big emphasis on on what is happening at the beginning of the supply chain which again was ignored in the very selfish sort of um, 90s basically um, and now it's completely unacceptable to have slave labor involved at last uh, involved in 
in the making of goods it does happen but it's well, not it really okay. does happen yeah it really does happen but it needs monitoring the whole time and you've only got to see what happened um, with the collapse of the building and so on in Bangladesh that you know it's it's hideous absolutely hideous but it's not okay um, people get away with it um, but but it's not okay and we all feel that whereas at the far end of the supply chain where the, the shop interface is there with the customer um, it's just pretty much ignored so the staff are in horrific conditions sometimes literally horrific conditions if you think that 10,000 people across the UK but a lot of them in London died from directly these particulate related diseases in one year alone which equated in actuarial terms they worked out it was 340,000 years of human life lost um, you know this is we really need to be paying attention to the conditions that are going on in there but also to the amount of energy that we're wasting. Can we, I think we should linger on that figure and, and unpack that a little bit, shouldn't we? Remind me of the figure and, and how we're able to understand that that was directly attributable to the sort of things you're talking about. Well, the figures were from um, out of the King's College London research and um, I think they're fairly easily worked out. They looked at the figures come out the whole time from the NHS now too on all this um, and it is possible um, unfortunately when people die to see what the causes were and particulates are you know it's not just a guess it's it's actually what's happening. And is that figure rising or what's it? Um, well it it is apparently rising but um, I can't give you actual details on that it's going up every year and that's really not surprising because I, it's obviously cumulative and um, it may well spike but most cancers are actually expected to be be growing in numbers anyway so well, it's always been unhealthy to live in a city but that cumulative element that you mentioned there that's particularly frightening isn't it it's very frightening i mean there's actually evidence that children are also getting reduced lung capacity from in if you look at them in very um polluted areas so the first if you look at China which is of course millions of times worse but the youngest recorded death from lung cancer there is now eight years old so you know we've got a long way to go before we get there but something really needs to be done well, that brings us neatly to uh, your modus operandi. Uh, <laughs> how do you... Because we're standing out here, ironically enough, in the street. We could have picked a better venue. Could, we could, should have met indoors. Now I'm terrified to be out here. Um, what <laughs> That's is, quite a street. <laughs> what, well, now, hang on. I was about to move us on, but you're, now that you say that, with fewer cars passing down the street, and fewer is relative in this part of town, Yes. there can't be any less risk. It must be that these particulates are drifting down from all over town, right? They do drift down from all over town, but the evidence is quite strongly, actually, that... Um, you you basically can save yourself quite a lot even by walking on the opposite side of the street to a line of very slow-moving traffic. And it does drop off quite remarkably. If you go onto the King's College London Clean Air website, you can actually see some very, very detailed maps of current pollution um, so that you can work out your best way around London if, if you're walking or cycling or whatever you're doing um, from that and it is quite surprising how it drops yes the pollution levels are high everywhere but they are very concentrated around the busy roads you'll have heard of course the 
Um, lovely comparison. Lovely in no sense. It's neat. Uh, the comparison of one tube trip to breathing in the smoke from two cigarettes in terms of air quality. Are there any uh, similarly vivid illustrations of walking around on the surface? On the well, I'm sure there probably are. If you ask the King's College guys on the tube thing, slightly going off as a tangent, but um, it was interesting at an event on air pollution up in North London. Two of the King's College guys came with sensitive monitoring equipment on them. Travelled from King's Cross up there. One went by tube, and one went sort of along streets and through parks and they were mapped as they went and I've decided never to go on the tube again if I can help it because the concentration of muck down there that was registered was many times what was picked up at the worst crossroads so on the way so bad basically yes you've got a battle on your hands Yes, I think a lot of people are battling about this. What what do you see as being your theatre of war then? And perhaps I can bring it back to that idea of uh, how you operate. But is it the case that you are really just very tightly focusing on this one particular issue? Or are you working on a broader front? Well, I think we're focusing on the retail space because... um, it's an area where we can do something and where we have made quite a few changes, I think, already. Um, but it brings it, as it goes along, it brings in more factors. I would love to be able to do something about vehicles on the streets and so on, but I think there are people better equipped to do that than me. Um, and I think concentrating on something relatively, I mean, it's a relatively small issue, but it has a reasonable significance because so so much time is spent and so many people work in the retail side in shops. Um, it is somewhere where as one person um, and with the other people who are involved in this, we can actually make a, you know, a reasonable difference. You know, I'm not the mayor of London, so I can't sort of, you know, wave a magic wand. I'm not quite sure if he can or not. But anyway, there is definitely an issue here that can be tackled. It seems, on the face of it, quite a modest request that the shops should do this. But I wonder how compliant you found retailers, whether it's the independent or the chain, to be. The chains are particularly non-compliant, basically. But for what reason? You'd have thought they'd have uh, bigger savings to make. I think they're, they're not particularly interested in saving energy to be quite honest a, a lot of them this is not blankets but uh, quite a lot of them are not particularly interested in that um they're not they're not very often at head office immensely close to the bills that come in from the various shops they are and they're quite on the whole some of the retailers, some of the chain retailers quite a conservative bunch and they certainly don't like being asked to change any sort of behavior that's going on um, that really surprises me given I mean we, we all know the lovely story of the British Airways olives or whatever it was where they, they took a tiny thing off each meal that they served and saved themselves millions in the process <laughs> uh, surely the same must obtain uh, probably much more so with uh, I don't know a, a fictional coffee chain you know well yes I mean it definitely does work when they shut the doors and I think the message is now beginning to spread there are some great companies who really do back their CSR claims I mean a lot of companies have very green corporate social responsibility claims but when you look at it I mean one of the worst to be quite honest is something like Lush that had a blackboard outside its doors last winter going what's good for the um, climate is good for the economy 
had their doors wide open, big doors wide open. And um, they just say, oh, we leave it to the individual managers. And of course, individual managers would never shut doors by themselves because any drop in profits will be blamed on this particular change of behaviours due to a multitude of things. But it's a way of kind of pushing the question off. And they think they might get a slight... I'm, I'm, my suspicion is they think they might get a slight advantage somehow in somebody coming in through the space if the doors open. Well, no, I, I think I've just found the strongest possible argument I can for uh, particular shops leaving their doors open. And I'm thinking of somewhere like Lush or a bakery, perhaps, something like that. And uh, you know when you walk down the high street, you know there's a Lush around well, long before you get anywhere near the Lush. You certainly do. Quite a lot of people find that very troubling, as it turns out. But <laughs> Why so? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> But, but that's a, that's a pretty solid that's a pretty solid case though, isn't it? That surely you, if if you want if you're selling something nice and smelly, you want your customers to smell it. It's actually very easy to pipe out a little bit of smell. That's not too difficult, and you know it's something that the supermarkets do in little tiny areas of them, and some of the shops do. But you know you don't need to have a door wide open in order to do that. So. <laughs> That's, that is the only point in our conversation so far where I have been less than entirely persuaded and, and even then I'm mostly way, most of the way <laughs> over the line. So as far as what you do on a day-to-day basis goes, I've sort of got the impression that there's not just you. You've mentioned a we. No, there's a very, there is a small team of people all over the, the country actually and people drop in and out. There's, there's um, a wonderfully active person in Islington who does all our Twitter as well as working full-time and also tackles some of the bigger issues. Um, and then we have a wonderful person down in Bristol who, um, who is, is older. We used to work with one of the very, very active students who's now disappeared and moved on. Um, but she's made a huge difference down there. There was a member of the um, Isle of Guernsey government who was doing it down there. Um, there are a vast range of people. There are groups in all over the place in in um, Kingston and uh, Birmingham and um, in, in cities all over the place. And they, they're all sorts of different, different people who've lent their support. Well, that's interesting. And there's this geographic dispersal of your organisation as well must pose some challenges. I mean, what, what's your role within, uh, within that in terms of hands-on organisation and also in terms of what I guess I'd call outreach? Well, what we try to do is... Um, I started in Cambridge with two other people. So there were three founders. I'm now the person left there um, organising all that. And we rolled it out across the country as people got interested and we got more publicity. Um, and what we do is have very strong guidelines. We are business-friendly. This won't work for the shops. Nobody's going to do it unless it works for them. And it's very clear it does. There are fantastic companies like John Lewis and so on and so forth who... Are completely Marks and Spencer and so on, who are completely behind it. We know it works. Um, but we have these very tight guidelines. We absolutely do not go in and rant at the retailers because you're just dismissed as being completely mad if you do that. And you need your comments to go on and be passed on to head offices, which they generally are, we find. Um, 
later on. But um, so what I we we tend to leave groups um, be in, in close contact as we can with them, but be very happy that it's their bit of campaign, absolutely their bit of campaign, so long as they adhere to our guidelines and they will take our logo and usually customise it for the local area and completely organise what they do for themselves there. Does that mean you personally are beating the streets yourself or are you, are you yeah, going to I do, do head office meets? Or? I know, I, t- I, I tend to do more head offices now but no, I definitely do beat the streets as well. You need to be doing both ends and to stay, and to stay in touch with it. So you're a, a known individual? <laughs> Probably to some people, I you're, don't know. <laughs> you're the you're the door woman to somebody. Else. <laughs> Try to keep not to being the mad door woman. <laughs> Londonist Out Loud is sponsored by Audible. To claim your free audiobook from a range of sixty thousand titles, try the Audible service on thirty day free trial. Audiobooks can be saved as MP3s and played on your compatible phone, tablet, or desktop, or burned to CD, and they're yours to keep. For your free audiobook, go to www.audible.co.uk slash Londonist and click through. You've brought us to Chilton Street here in West One, and I suspect there is a reason for us being here. Yes. Um, Chilton Street it used to be really... Um rather dingy and depressing and used to specialise in, in um, shops for um, sort of very tall people or you know, long oh, shoes. I'm in the right place. <laughs> I knew it because I have a six foot two, very beautiful six foot two daughter I have to say, but we used to come down here and it was depressing when she was about 15 to this dingy street and now it's been completely revived. It's just been voted Condé Nast Traveller's coolest street in london this end here we go um and it looks all the shops look at like a million pounds but they're not because if you go into them um you'll find there's a very very beautiful award-winning designer jeweler over there called kahatu and petros um and if you go in you know the, there's some very beautiful things that start under 30 pounds and it goes up which is quite a lot of money, obviously, but for a jeweller, that's that's not. You go further down the street, and there's a there's a guy selling sort of sweets and and newspapers and so on, and he's even got a sort of grid of, of metal in the window, and his door's shut. Um, and they work basically on this principle that they're going to be a nice, welcoming place to come into. As you said, they've got beautiful shop windows, and um, they're just a really great place to go. We've done a good sales pitch. Is this to get the people on side? Because I notice most of them have got their doors shut already. No, no, no. I don't need to get them on on side here. They had their doors shut for themselves because they knew that it worked for retail. It was nothing to do with me. Already done. (laughs) So these guys are switched on. Okay. well, let's head down the street, shall we? Is that your direction of travel that you've got in mind? Yes, yes, yes. I don't... So we probably need to keep going because it's cold for the first time. Yes, it is cold, (laughs) isn't it? Here's a... Sorry. Here's a little shop that looks not, you know... What are you saying about this shop? What you... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, just saying... You're going to say something offensive about this shop? <laughs> I'm just going to stop right there. Yes, Let's we're getting a bit Mer- Mary Portas about it suddenly. The uh, sirens in the background that you heard, by the way, because uh, somebody's left their door open. <laughs> if only. If we can get to that, that would be quite handy. <laughs> well, just uh, stepping back for a moment, I mean, this is really a very attractive part of town, and you're right, It does. a, a million dollars is exactly the description. I would have thought that I probably shouldn't be allowed in here. Well, ooh, here we have one with the door open, a chain store, Long Tall Sally. What a pity. Um, yes, it looks like it's permanently open as well. This yes, doesn't look like a moment. 
and it's not supposed to be. I think um, they're very happy at head office to have their door shut when I last checked. So what's your thoughts here? I was sort of expecting that I might be involved in guerrilla attacks with you uh, today, but you're just going to pass that by. And what are you going to do about that situation? Well, I, um, I have to say guerrilla attacks are not really my style. <laughs> a nice conversation with a manager, more like. <laughs> um, but what I will do, because I've had quite a bit to do with long, tall sallies around the place, and a lot of them are very, very good about shutting their doors, is uh, probably another time um, to come back, have a word with them, but mainly speak to the head office and because what most of these shops need is, is a really great policy out saying you know this is what we want you to do and then they're more likely to do it so the, the, it's the presence of me and my microphone actually is probably uh, not going to help that negotiation is it well the presence i should think it would terrify everybody to, to death because they wouldn't know what was going to come of it <laughs> people do get twitchy <laughs> me too <laughs> even me <laughs> and i'm holding the thing <laughs> Well, they look. All oh, this. Uh, these guys are going to get a, a black mark. Oh, here we have another one with them. Yes, yeah. Um, they have a uh, a device specially designed for keeping the door open. Not merely the wedge for these guys. They've got a, a flat iron. <laughs> That's really thumbing their noses at you. <laughs> it certainly is. Um, but as you can see, as we go down, pretty well all the doors are shut. Um, and we've had, there's a whiskey shop over there, um, and we've had quite a lot of offies with their doors open saying, oh, nobody will come in without. It's quite, I mean, a lot of them now shut the door, but you can imagine particularly with something like drink, if people want it, they go in. Yes, I've never yet seen that be a major <laughs> obstacle, yeah. <laughs> but that's what they say, or did say, before more of them shut it. Various sort of dress shops and things which you'd expect to have their doors closed. But funnily enough, we're going to go around the corner in a minute to Marlborough High Street, I think. And um, you'll see there that actually most clothes shops have their doors open for some bizarre reason. What made you say that you'd expect a dress shop to have its doors shut? Is that just, just because well, people are changing in and out? Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. People, people um, want to change and be in a fairly cosy atmosphere. But most of the chains insist on having their doors open, although customers complain that the doors, the clothes, sorry, close near the doors, um, <laughs> about to freeze now, close near the doors are clammy and cold to pick up, and they, they may be much too hot in the changing rooms because they're being blasted with heat to sort of try to sort out the, the draft problem further along oh, in the right. shop. Yes, that's interesting. I, I always find that in changing rooms that I'm far too, uh, uh, far too overheated. It's, yes, it's, it's not the most pleasant feeling. Traditional so, barbers there. Um, I'd strongly recommend, uh, if you're in a shopping mood, this is a good street to have a little nose around. Actually, it's a lovely street, and as I said, it looks as if it's extremely expensive, but the shops do have things in them that are actually affordable, which is very nice. <laughs> Well, no, we're coming to the uh, end of the street here. We're at the uh, junction with Blandford Street. I don't think I've, uh, I don't think I've been ha- down here at all. Do you know this area well? I mean, you're, you're Cambridge-based, as you say. What, do you I, have a connection with this bit of town? I, I do a lot of um, work up in London now. And the business improvement district's pretty important. They're... they're um, a group of the businesses within particular areas um, who uh, get together and are pretty influential actually about what happens and what sort of developments are going to go on and there's some quite interesting um, ideas there's a big um, 
in the Baker Street Beard, which is, covers Chilton Street that we've just been in, um, there are some really exciting moves about reducing traffic, increasing pedestrian space and so on and so forth on the street. Um, anyway, um, as a result of that, I, I da- am down in London, both with head offices and... <laughs> And seeing um, seeing shops, but also um, seeing the business improvement district um, groups as well, and uh, city councils come, you know, all sorts of things really. What you've discussed, what we've discussed so far, all seems very harmonious in the way you present it. But I can't help feeling that what's in the best interests of getting people to spend money in shops isn't necessarily going to be what's in the best interests of uh, health, the environment, those sort of things and I can see that what you're trying to do is find a way for those things to, to come together and uh, assist each other. Do you ever find yourself pulled in two different directions as, as far as those sort of issues are concerned? Absolutely I'm, I completely agree with that. I mean I think there are a lot of people um, involved in both shopping and in the retail side who um, probably don't take a particularly social view of, of what they're doing. But For the sake of balance, there are probably quite a few people on the green side of things who would uh, take a, a, an unreasonable view of uh, commerce or uh, retail or things like that just because it is what it is. Um, yes, and I think it can be extremely unhelpful to go and rant at anybody. Yes, there are people um, who feel very, very angry about the situation and and do want to go and have a really good complain and a rant at um, shops and, you know, that's their prerogative. But we do ask that <laughs> people like that don't say that they're anything to do with the campaign because our approach is very much to make relationships with the managers and the staff so that we can explain to them and get them on side, which is actually what happens and it may not happen straight away but we go back um, time and time again and then it's we've had quite a lot of success with people listening and thinking yeah okay well you know I think it's right we'll give it a go either have a trial or go straight into shutting the door some of the arguments I know on the environmental side of things can be and I don't know if this is because they're hyped up by uh, elements of the media or whether they are in themselves very urgent uh, sometimes to the, the extent of being apocalyptic, I think. And you can perhaps understand why. And they sort of suggest that there's a, a deadline for things reaching a tipping point or a point of no return or whatever it might be. Do you subscribe to any of those sort of things? Is there an urgency, a deadline, uh, something like that involved in your thinking? I think there is a certain amount of urgency, yes. I mean, uh, without being alarmist, if you, if you look at the IPCC reports... Um, which I take a fairly empirical view of things and, you know, I think they're good (laughs) Um, and we do need to get on with things. However, um, we also need to be realistic about what we can actually achieve Um, and I think it's very easy to become so depressed at all the apocalyptic um, messages that come out that people are sort of completely paralysed, basically, and just do nothing, which is completely the wrong (laughs) Approach. Um, so, I don't feel that you know uh, the whole world is going to go up in flames or whatever. But at the same time, I do think we need to be doing what we can as soon as we can, rather than putting it off and closing our eyes. I suppose the danger of that sort of thing is that a moderate, measured approach like that can be a much harder sell. Um, 
I think it's very much more easy to win people over if you want a behaviour change with a moderate approach than coming at it either making people feel extremely scared or um, being rather aggressive about it. It just isn't something that persuades people, I find. doesn't work with children. doesn't work with adults. <laughs> I, I want to frame that idea in my mind and, and bring that out whenever necessary. I feel I'm going to find plenty of application for that. <laughs> We're heading up now to Moxon Street. It's school kicking out time, as you can probably hear in the background. Le Vieux Comptoir, towards our left there, and what looks like either a churchyard or some gardens oh I like this bit of town <laughs> if it weren't for the car park to our right this would be quite picturesque I'm sure that's going to be developed into something don't you think, I think it has to be at the looking at what's going on around here but it's, you were looking at the Le Vieux Comptoir which is over there and um, it, it just sort of, sorry, brings to mind um, the fact is it's really weird that lots of restaurants, we cover restaurants and cafes as well, lots of restaurants and cafes very happily had their doors wide open doing the same things as the shops, which struck me as really weird when people go in and sit down and don't want to sit in a draft and things. It took three years working with Costa Coffee, first chain of um, shops to go over and they really mind what they do and they're very responsible about what they get up to they now all shut their doors and surprise surprise children can't run out onto the street customers are really comfortable the staff are much more comfortable and uh, it really works but um, they are unusual as a big chain of even coffee shops so we do have a problem with the restaurants and cafes as well um, that needs to be tackled I suppose at the root of all of this is this idea that in order to be welcoming, the door must be open. And it, it even finds its way into phraseology, you know, come in, my door's always open. Yes, no, that's true. And um, it's, it's, a, it's quite a difficult one to get over. But you can, as many retailers who do close their doors will tell you, um, if you make your shop look really welcoming um, and you have a sign up outside it and it's a nice place to come into not too boiling because you can keep the temperature at a much lower level um, if you have got the door shut um, it's actually a good thing and people will then stay in the shop longer which is of course what every retailer wants I think I've certainly seen a big difference in whether or not you have a sign at the door saying open that really <laughs> that's the indicator people are looking for really isn't it <laughs> Well, you can, you can have that, but actually the way you do your window will make it very clear whether it's open or not, too. So, as you, as you were saying in Chilton Street um, just now, they had lovely windows, and um, that's what pulls people you know, in through the door, basically. We're in Marylebone High Street. Jack Wills is uh, the first on the ro- <laughs> roll of shame, I'm yes, sorry to say. Do- door wide open. Every single branch you ever come across with Jack Wills, just the same. So um, maybe they're not quite aware of what they're doing to their staff. But actually, even on temperature, they found in, in the Cambridge research that you can't keep your staff in the normal accepted, that's called SIBSI guidelines, for um, healthy working in the retail um, sector. You can't keep them in those temperatures. If you've got the door open, they're ever going to be too hot if you're blasting heat out at the back of the shop or too cold and drafty at the front once the temperature drops. Have any legal cases been brought along those lines? No, they're guidelines. It's not legis- legislated for. Oh, right, that's interesting. Yes. So is, does that, uh, is, are we talking then about something that doesn't have teeth? 
Well, yes, I suppose it has teeth insofar as reasonable retailers do like to keep their, their, their staff in the right conditions. And, and the guidelines do give a proper, proper idea of what the conditions could be. But for the ones who don't care, then no, there are no, no sort of firm teeth to deal with it on. Oh, that's Shame, it. but not teeth. Yes, right. No, that's interesting. I, I suppose uh, nothing would make retailers sit up more than sort of, you know a member of staff saying, "Well, you, as a result of working here, I got an illness and uh, you know taking legal action." Well, supposedly, but then the staff need to keep their jobs. It's very, very difficult as a member of staff not to be exploited if somebody wants to. And that's what it boils down to. Well, we're, we're heading down uh, the Couples, which is a store I still haven't quite got to grips with. I don't understand their advertising. I'm standing just outside the door about, what, would you say about three feet it's from nice it? Warm, yeah. It's really hot. It's a nice hot street here going straight up into the atmosphere. That's really intense heat. Yeah. That's just actually, that's not that's not heat that's needed in the shop. That's just literally being wasted. It's like standing in a drought with a hosepipe, um, full on, and just letting it run. I've got a bit of a confession. I'm, I'm a bit of a heating geek at the moment for reasons I won't go into. But I'd say that's uh, two or three kilowatts of heat. That's uh, that's a, a, at least one and a half electric heaters on at full pelt. In basically in the street and that money has to come from somewhere and presumably if the shop stays open it goes on to the price of goods in the end do you really want to be paying for this Eileen Fisher has a device attached to the outside of their shop there to keep the door open slightly less hot than next door shop but still a nice heated bit again you know out on the street (laughs) Well, I think we get the message even from just those first few examples. As we look down the street here in Marylebone High Street, we can see plenty of shops with their doors open. Uh, the local pharmacy seems to have theirs open. I think I can see the licence down there does. Plenty of the chain stores do. In fact, they seem to be in the majority. Even Now, here's an irony. Cancer research... This is really quite shocking. Some of the charity shops, like Oxfam, on the whole, um, they do their very best to keep doors shut. Cancer research, when you think the air pollution is causing cancer, this is a busy street, Marlborough High Street. They have their doors wide open. And you kind of think, what is going on here? You're making money to do research into cancers and putting your staff in a not great situation and wasting a lot of energy at the same time. Have you you spoken to them yet? Uh, We have spoken to Cancer Research, not to this particular shop. And uh, we keep getting told, um, no, you know, no, we're not going to do anything about it. There is a problem, actually, with the charity shops in that they're often run by volunteers. And the um, volunteer managers may have slightly antiquated ideas about how they should be selling things. And it is quite, quite difficult to monitor it from that point of view. It's much more difficult to do things with a group of volunteers than with paid staff. So there is an issue around that. But even so, some charity shops do very, very well and some don't. And cancer research doesn't. Well, that's remarkable, isn't it? Really peculiar. Well, I've got to say, I didn't think we were going to get 50 minutes out of telling people to close their doors. There's quite a bit to it. There is. Um, There is. I think the thing to say about this street is that Marlborough High Street is a great street. It's very beautiful, but it is full of chain stores, and it really illustrates my point that the management at the top end of chain stores is really not very 
tuned into what should be going on at street level, although there are some fantastic examples. So we need some visionary management and direction at the top of these organisations to follow the likes of John Lewis and Marks we and really Spencer. We need that. We well, they, there are those really great examples out there who are doing the right thing, and more shops are now coming into it. We seem to have got many more now contacting us rather than us contacting them, um, and a lot, there are quite a few that are almost there but not quite ready to make the statement, which is which is great because it means a lot of the doors are shut. Um, but no, they really need to follow follow those great great companies that are doing a good thing because it works. Well, it's as we've I think illustrated here. It's a chilly day. It's going to get chillier, and more heat's going to be pumped out. I, for one, am uh, about to go and stand outside Couples to warm up a little bit. <laughs> um, before we go, we should uh, we, sh- we should touch on the relevant websites and so that people can see what's going on with the campaign is www.closethedoor.org.uk but what you might also be interested in sort of slightly attached to it is the King's College London Clean Air website if you're worried about what's happening in London you want either annual report which gives you a good idea or or um, a, a live idea of, of which streets are most polluted to avoid at any given time, just go onto the Clean Air website. They've done fantastic work on that. You can also get a phone app that will help you, and it's particularly good if you've got small kids who are down at exhaust level. And I think there's also some controversy around some figures. I, I vaguely remember reading some of the figures around the, the London clean air measurements a little while ago. So if, you, if you're interested in this subject, there may well be some interesting stuff to look at there. Uh, I think the, the bottom line to this, though, is it's not rocket science. Uh, keep the heat inside the building and everything will work out beautifully for everyone concerned. Jeannie Dawkins, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you very much for having me. That's all for this week. My thanks to my guest Jeannie Dawkins. Thanks too to Matt Keane, Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolf. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 